Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. about his wonderful book, Alchemy, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor at Hartley Pools United. Got to say, it's a fantastic read. It's a great cover. Before we get into the book, let's have a little bit about yourself. So if you'd like to introduce yourself and your background first, please, sir. Yes, I'm originally from London. So born and brought up in London. So a bit odd that I should support Hartley Pool. Um, but I have and been going to see them since the age of 12, um, which being based in London was quite difficult because when I started sporting, there were no, there were no um, fourth division teams in London. So you had to travel even, you know, a bit of a way just to get to away games. And home games were <laughs> up in the northeast. They didn't happen for a while through a lack of uh, pocket money. But um, so interested, uh, always interested in the fact that Brian Clough had started his career at Hartley Pool, or Hartley Pools, as it was when he joined the club. And uh, my dad was um, from South Derbyshire and lifelong Derby County supporter, so he was always a big fan of Clough, obviously, because of the success that Clough had brought to Derby in the late 60s, early 70s. So I was always interested to um, one day... Um, you know, go, go into a bit more depth about uh, Clough and Taylor's time at um, Hartlepool. So as well as reading the what Clough and Taylor had, had, had um, written, what biographers had written about their time at the club, I, I was keen to sort of get back to the the newspapers of the time and um, see see what see see what really happened. You know, some of the um, get down and dirty with the with the newspapers and. Um, See, see how it was reported at the time, let's say. Now, your, your background, is this the first book you've written or have you wrote books before, Christopher? This is my first football book. Um, I've written two uh, previous books. One, the first one based on the PhD that I did at the University of Nottingham about Britain and Cuba. And the second one about the writer Graham Greene and the story behind story our men in the famous so everything to do with espionage and um grand green's visits to cuba before and after the revolution in his 1958 spy fiction novel our men in havana set in set in havana fantastic it's a quantum leap isn't it from graham green to brian clough both great <laughs> characters i'm yeah. loving i'm loving the cover it's a great picture of brian and just brian and not peter as well because brian did take the job we're going to talk about his time at hartlepool in a short while but he took the job on on the proviso that peter taylor was going to join him 
And he did say, or it says in your book, if Taylor wasn't going to join him, he wasn't going to take the job. But first and foremost, Lou, you did reference you're a Hartlepool supporter. You did come from London. Your dad, Derby County. The obvious question, how and why did you get into Hartlepool? Yeah, that is that is now I think the initial spark for this was a holiday up in North Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, family holiday. And then just starting I think I like the name I, I mean, I used to go to Arsenal. Arsenal was the closest um club to me. My secondary school was sort of halfway between Arsenal and Tottenham, so we had lots of Arsenal fans in my school, lots of Spurs fans. Um, and yeah, I used to follow their, their their results. Then I was, wrote to the club secretary, got the address out of the Rothmans football year, but wrote to the secretary, said, can you give me some information about the club? And he sent me some programmes, which were sort of 75% advertising, very thin affairs, not much in them at all. But there was a picture on one of the covers, an aerial photo of the ground, the Victoria ground, which always fascinated me. And um, then one year they had a cup run. Uh, they beat Pat Terry Venables Palace in the third round. This would have been in the winter of 1977. And then they got drawn um, away to Ipswich, fourth round of the FA Cup. And that was the first game I ever went to, January 1978. And uh, they, which, in fact, was the year that um, Ipswich went on to, to beat Arsenal in the Cup 1-0. Uh, they beat Hartlepool 4-1, and I caught the bug then then and there, really. You know, the, the, was impressed by the number of Hartlepool fans that were there for a fourth division team. And every time they played anywhere near London, Aldershot, for example, um, later on it was Wimbledon, um, Northampton, Bournemouth, places like that, I used to go and see them, and uh, eventually got to... Um, got to go to a home game but um i think i had to watch them 11 times before i saw them win <laughs> for a very <laughs> successful team um really and there's, there's, they've had odd moments of success since since clough and taylor were there but um always been but you know always not been particular. you know it's not particularly prosperous part of the northeast and uh, they will struggle to financially, really, and also for, for league survival in terms of re-election uh, applications back in the day. Yeah, I, I love the reference that you watched them 11 times before you'd seen them win. I think before Clough, um, quite a few managers had seen Hartlepool play 11 times before they'd actually won. As you say, they were perennial uh, fourth division strugglers and going to in those days you had to apply for re-election it's not like in the modern game you finish bottom you go into the uh, the conference you had to apply and they had and we don't want to give anything away but they had a few shall we say strange ways of applying for re-election didn't didn't they and we'll leave it there because we want people to read the book we want people to buy the book so where can Fans, not just of Hartley Pools, but fans of Brian Clough, of Peter Taylor, 
at the end of the day, this was the first steps on the managerial ladder for two legends of the game. So it's a book that appeals to many, many football fans. So where can people go to buy the books? And let's have your socials. And it's published by uh, the History Press, isn't it? That's it. So the, the, the book is available on all the um, big sort of book websites like WH Smith, um, Waterstones, of course, Amazon, I suppose the biggest of all of them in terms of web only. But WH Smith, um, Waterstones, Wordery, Book Depository. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to, to do a search and you'll, 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 you'll find the book quite easily online. Absolutely. When did you start out on this project and how long did this labour of love take you? Yeah, well, as every author will tell you, any book is a labour of love. I began this one in the autumn of 2019. Um, I was a bit unlucky, a bit jinxed in the fact that um, um, just as I was about to undertake the main part of the research which was newspapers i mean i literally had my bag packed literally had my hotel in london booked my train ticket booked um thought i'd just check my email before i left home because covid was starting to um you know close things down and uh, there was an email british library uh, we will be closed from tomorrow so no trip took place that was in march 2020 didn't actually get to see the newspapers and in, until november of 2020 got there down there for one day i had a three days booked um got down there for one day and the second day um or the the afternoon of the first day said we're not reopening tomorrow um because of the uh, second lockdown <laughs> it was a bit frustrating is not the word finally got down there properly um in december 2020 and i was also um interviewing the players but the problem with the players Again, with COVID, all the all the surviving players, and not just players, but the odd journalist who's around at the time, still who's still with us. I'm all in their 70s, early 80s, yeah. and of course, a lot of them, understandably, quite reluctant to meet in person because of all the COVID restrictions. So, a lot of them I spoke to on the phone, or I met them much later after speaking to them on the phone. So it wasn't ideal in terms of. Um, the, the research, but um, to got got into the newspapers, you know, you just get um, you just get sucked in, especially with all the the, the quotes from Clough, because anything that came out of Clough's mouth was um, was very uh, quotable, as um, sports journalists um, found throughout his career. You know, absolutely. Did you manage to interview many fans? Did you get up to Hartlepool's? and talk to the supporters and did you have a chat with sentinel well that is a good question paul um <laughs> and we'll leave sentinel um, we that won't... Is, yeah yeah that that is that is that was a an insurmountable problem to yeah. be honest with you with the with the central i had to rely i did speak to did speak to uh, Bill Hamilton, who's still with us, who, who sort of early in his career was the local correspondent on the Northern Daily Mail, which later became Hartlepool Mail, a Scottish um, uh, by nationality. And one of his first jobs was, was in West Hartlepool, or the Hartlepools as they were then. 
Then, then much later, he went on to become a, a, a BBC correspondent. Actually, quite recognisable if you saw him and heard him, yeah. you, you'd actually recognise him from 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 news programmes. But he he'd been sentinel um, before Clough and Taylor were at the club, so he was useful to speak to in terms of a little bit of background about the club and um, the ground and the chairman Ernest Stord. He had a few run-ins with, and um, so yeah. What I actually love about the book, again, it is about uh, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor's time at Hartlepool's, but there's a lot of historic content about Hartlepool. It sets out about what that port was like, and it was a really growing port, wasn't it? You know, there was two places. There was West Hartlepool and Hartlepool's, and the, you talk about... Um, the the background, the historic content, and and also how they got to become known as the uh, as the monkey hangers. We can talk about that because I think that is common knowledge. But it's a great story, and I didn't realise that handicap come from that area as well. That's it. That's it. So I mean, one of the interesting things is the uh, parallels that you yes. can draw between Brian Clough, um, the town and the football club in terms of them in 1965 all being down on their luck. Brian Clough's career has effectively ended on Boxing Day 1962 with a crucial ligament injury. He did go on to play three more games after a long struggle to regain fitness, but back then cruciate ligament injury was was operable, but it was not something that you could really recover from as a footballer. Of course, very still a very commonplace injury now. Um, Alan Shearer suffered that injury in his career. Paul Gascoigne did and came back and played again. But for Brian Clough, had basically finished him off. Um, so he was down on his luck. The town um, industrially was was um, on the way down. You know, the the last shipyard had closed in 1962. Unemployment was on the rise in, in, in the mid-60s. It was partly affected by decline in the coal industry, Hartlepool, West Hartlepool being being principal coal port in the northeast for 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 for, for um, a lot of the coal or most nearly all the coal from the County Down coal fields was was passed through the port of Hartlepool. So that trade was on the way down. And then you've got the football club. In five of the six seasons previous to, to Clough and Taylor taking over, they'd applied for re-election five out of six seasons. So in terms of their the history of the football club, which until that point had never really been very successful apart from one season under Fred Westgarth, 1956-1957, when they'd come second in the old third division north but didn't get promoted. Derby were the only team to get promoted. Had never tasted success. And in the uh, in the the first half of the 1960s, were were right down near the bottom of the football league. So Brian Clough and, Ta- and and Peter Taylor were taking over the least, without exaggeration, taking over the worst performing uh, football club in the country. So they were starting right at the bottom of the football pyramid. And the broker for the deal was uh, was Shaq, wasn't it? And again, we don't want to give too much away, but there was another job that Brian Clough could have taken it was offered to him and it does have a west midlands reference to it so again if you do want to know who that football club is you need to buy the book 
and also it, it entails um, the last team that Brian Clough played against. Again, West Midlands reference. And the last goal that he scored against a few old adversaries, shall we say, and we'll leave that there because we do want people to read the book. But Brian, the football player, a fantastic goal scorer. Cloughy, I think, received two England caps. He believed he should have received a lot more, but there was a perception that although he was the most prolific goal scorer in the country, it was all in League Two, League Division Two, which is now known as the Championship, wasn't it? That bug Cloughy, didn't it? Yeah, I think I think that's that's all true. I think the other thing that you have to mention at this point also is um, yes, you're right. You know all those goals, bar the very last goal that he scored when when he when he he made those um, three appearances his first, his only ever appearances in the first division when he was trying to come back from injury and he scored one goal. Um apart from I've lost my train of thought now. Hold on. <laughs> Can edit me out. Where was I going with that? Um we were talking about Brian, the magnificent player, scoring all the goals, really peeved that he didn't get yeah, more calls sorry, I know, from I, England. I, I remember where I was going now. It was the, the, the other problem that Brian Clough had with England was he was a disruptive influence in the dressing room. One yes. has to say that that while you know his big mouth as a player um, made him unpopular in the you know, despite all the goals that he scored, made him unpopular at Middlesbrough and at Sunderland, made him unpopular among a few of the players, but particularly the directors, the directors. And when he was playing for England, or, or, or sorry, when he was in the squad and travelling with the, with the England squad and not getting in the team, his big mouth rubbed people up the wrong way, big big fashion. So, you know, his big mouth, which w- w- was a liability in the dressing room as a player, of course, later in the dressing room would would be a massive asset as a ma- you know as a manager, yeah. and also with the press. You know those those golden one-liners, um, his quick-mindedness were, were were fantastic. For you know the football journalists loved him throughout his career. Where did Brian get that personality, that outspokenness, if that's the right word and phrase, from? Well, people, it's funny. You, um, you mentioned Paul um, fans and um, your people in the northeast. People, some um, Hartlepudlians, people from from Hartlepool, and and people with a good knowledge of Teesside, say, told me that 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 sort of um, arrogance, big mouthedness, was not unusual for 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 Teesiders of his generation. Mm-hmm. But but in terms of his quick mindedness and his quick wit, I think he got a lot of it actually from his mother, yeah. rather than his father. And he was a lot closer to his to his mother than his father. Yeah, but I think I think you know he's sort of almost born with it. You know, I think he was um, you know came from quite a big family, quite a few brothers, um, football fans, and it has to be said as well that Clough growing up was more into cricket than football actually. But it was his it was his football loving brothers that got him playing football and 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 um, sort of. Um, you know, he wanted to outcompete them. He was always very competitive with his brothers, played alongside them, and um, obviously ended up being being the best of all of them. 
when it, when he got um, got an apprenticeship at uh, his local football club, Middlesbrough. And born on the 21st of March 1935 in Middlesbrough. His playing career, we've just um, had a brief chat about his, his England caps, his unbelievable knack about scoring goals and the way that Brian was, um, he could put noses out of joint, couldn't he, and wind people up. But it ended uh, on Boxing Day 1962 against Berry, but he did battle back, as you've alluded to, but it was a long, hard slog back for Brian. In fact, um, many thought that he would never be able to make that journey back, but because of the way that Clough was, they almost allowed him to believe that he could get back to what he was, back to his best. But it was a real non-starter. But Clough really wanted to try and um, and almost succeeded. Yeah, he, he never really accepted mm. that his career was over until the directors told him that his career was over and took the insurance money on yeah. him. For, and he never forgave them for that. But um, the whole, you know, that period, 62 to 64 when he was trying to make his comeback and he made those those comeback games the beginning of the 64-65 season and was definitively retired in December of 64 you know left him completely heartbroken you know it was he lived for football he had left school he'd done this apprenticeship at ICI he hadn't proved very successful at that but the one thing he was good at was football and he was scoring for fun at Middlesbrough, then when I, up in the northeast coast of Sunderland was doing the same there, he was, you know, almost a, practically a, a goal again striker, and then one tackle, one collision with an outrushed goalkeeper. His career is as good as over, and you know he, he sinks very low, very low, very, very hard blow. Obviously, a hard blow physically, but psychologically. Um, I don't think he ever got over it, to be honest with you. Yeah. you know, his whole, I think that always stayed with him, always stayed with him. Um, but he took it very badly. Um, this is apparently the first period in his life um, when he hit the bubble, you know, to, he, he um, started drinking, became, in his own words, difficult to live with. Um, but then George Hardwick... Um, took over as manager at Sunderland and gave him a bit of a lifeline in terms of, um, you know, telling him instead of moping around the corridors causing trouble, you know, get with the youth team, put him in charge of the youth team. And um, he, he was pretty successful at that in the, 60, the latter part of the 64-65 season until George Hardwick lost his job. Scottish Ian McCall took over and uh, told Brian Clough that there was no space for him. So that was another blow to add to the blow of, of having his um, playing career ended. So, so he was in a pretty low ebb in the summer of 65. But he had a good youth team there at Sunderland, didn't he? John O'Hare, who later went on and played many times uh, for Brian at different clubs, was there as uh, a youth player, as was Colin Todd. And um, was uh, was Billy, Billy Kerr there as well? As, uh, Bobby as Kerr, yeah, Bobby, Bobby Kerr, wasn't Bobby it? Yeah. Kerr the, yeah, the, mm. the guy who lifted the FA Cup for Sunderland '73, yeah. Yeah. So he had a, he had a good group, and reading your book, the players, or or what certainly come from the book, is that they hadn't seen much of a ball before Brian Clough, and 
Cluffy changed everything, the whole of the training, okay. and they really enjoyed uh, training with Brian Clough. And again, you know, he wasn't that old because he was 30 years of age when he took the job at, um, at, at Hartlepool. So, you know, he was a young former player that the players, the young kids, the youth team would have looked up to and really introduced them to the football. And I guess what he did at Nottingham Forest and Derby, this is the tool of your trade, young man. Learn to love it. And they did. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. there were all those quotes from Clough about, yeah. you know, football not being played in the sky <laughs> and on the ground. And um, yeah, he was. He, he, he transformed the... Transform the training with with the Sunderland youth team, yeah, and they did quite well. We got to to the uh, semi final of the FA Youth Cup, which is quite an achievement. Absolutely, managers that had a real influence. Uh, Alan Brown was certainly one. George Hardwick being another. Uh, Bob Dennison and also uh, Harry Storer was a massive influence. Derby County manager, Coventry City manager. Um, and Birmingham City manager after the Second World War as well. But it was the disciplinarian side as well, wasn't it, of uh, of Stora? Because Peter played for, um, for for Harry Stora at Coventry, didn't he? And, and they, Cluffy being the cricket fan and the cricket player, Harry also played cricket for Derbyshire as well as being a great player and a manager to boot. That's right. What well, it was, um, it, it's via Peter Taylor, really, yeah. that um, Brian Clough got to know about Harry Storer. Yeah, obviously. Peter- this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Taylor, nearly seven years older than Clough, joined uh, Middlesbrough's goalkeeper. Um, and champion Clough is so, you know, why, 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 why is this young guy not in the first team? Could see that he was a natural scorer. Convinced Bob Den- Den- Denison to try him in the first team, and he proved to be very successful. And uh, yeah, they and um, introduced him to Harry Storer, and uh, you know, um, interested in and f- followed a little bit his footballing philosophy, especially when it came to uh, discipline. But it was. Um, a, Clough had spent quite a bit of time under Alan Brown at um, Sunderland until his um, until his injury and, and, and his 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 ways of um, instilling discipline generally and on Clough himself really, really um, struck struck a chord with Clough. He, he was definitely a big influence on Clough's um, uh, playing career when he when he started at Hartlepool with Peter Taylor. I love the line that you've uh, written in the book, The Flame of Alchemic, 
reaction had been lit. I think that's a bit, that could almost be a lyrical line in a song. I think it's fantastic. And The Alchemy, a great title for the book because it, it was alchemy, was it? With Peter Taylor and Brian Clough, it was a match made in heaven. It was a match made in heaven, I suppose. The you know, by the time you get to the end of the book, and of course, my main concentration is on their nineteen, on the nineteen months that they spent at Hartlepool's United. Yeah. But of course, I have to mention what they went on to do. And if you look back at their career as a whole, you have to say that when they were together, they were fantastic. But yeah. on those, those those short periods when they were apart, you know, when for example. Um, Clough went it alone at Leeds United, the infamous 44 days. Um, the, the people commenting last week that, that, that was the exact amount of time that Liz Truss was our Prime Minister, 44 days as well, which that didn't go too, that didn't go too well either. But also, you know, they weren't really... They were together at Brighton, but they weren't together in the sense. But yeah. Clough had ne- never really properly committed to, to 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 Brighton and Hove Albion. Never actually moved down there. He was going down there from from the East Midlands, and that didn't work out too well. Um, but when they were together, you know what they did at um, Hartlepool's in terms of just avoiding re-election was was success for Hartlepool's United. And the sec- the only fall season they were there, the '66 to '67 season, they 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 um they flirted with promotion and ended the the season in eighth position, left in the summer of '67, and then the squad that Angus McLean um, inherited um, did achieve promotion the following season in the 66 67 to 68 season the club's first ever promotion and obviously if you look at what Clough and Taylor did at Derby you know taking them from the lower reaches of the second division to um, league championship in 1972 and then when after the infamous and disastrous 44 days at Leeds Clough started by himself at Forest in January 75 and was joined by Taylor in the summer of 76. Of course, what they went on to do there was was, was magical. So the idea of alchemy is, you know, chemistry. Um, when they were together, they were fantastic. When they were apart, the chemistry wasn't there and they weren't successful. Although, you know, I suppose you could argue that Clough did have some success by himself at Forest in the... Um, the, the the 1980s and 1990s when he was alone, but it was limited really to to, to league cups. Absolutely, but we must mention John McGovern because John was uh, a young player at Hartlepool's. It wasn't that Clough and Taylor bought him in; he was already there. Get your hair cut, young man. Uh, he was also there. He was also there the um, Boxing Day, wasn't he? When Brian. Uh, got injured against Berry, and I remember listening and watching John McGovern regarding his time at Nottingham Forest, and he said, "It's only a matter of time when we get promoted." Now that Peter Taylor has joined Brian Clough, and that's yeah. Obviously, obviously, John McGovern had a lot of experience play, playing under them, and, and knew that Clough by himself at Forest, um, you know. 
but when Peter Taylor joined Brian Clough at Forest, that they were really going to do something because it's, it, it played under them at uh, Hartlepool's United and it played under them at, uh, at Derby County. He'd also, of course, followed um, Clough in his short time uh, to Leeds and yeah. stayed there after Clough was given the sack. But obviously, he, he, he saw how disastrously that went when Clough was by himself. But um, yeah, when Clough, when Taylor joined Clough, at Nottingham Forest in the summer of '76, then then they started to rock and roll. You know that that, that it was it was um, success all the way those 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 next four seasons. And there was only two teams in that period at Hartlepool's that didn't have floodlights. That's right. Yeah, one of the. Yeah, one of the interesting things was that um, you know by the nineteen by the mid nineteen sixties, every professional football club. Um, had uh, installed floodlights except two, mm. and they were Saltergate at Chesterfield and the Victoria Ground at Hartlepool United. And um, they installed floodlights during those uh, 19 months that uh, Clough and Taylor were there, and uh, they were inaugurated a Friday night game in January 1967 on a, on a snowbound pitch, um, sort of game that would never go ahead nowadays, but back in. <laughs> Back in the sixties, um, didn't have the, quite the same um, criteria when it came to calling off or, or, or keeping games on. And so, um, yeah, and, and Chesterfield installed, turned on their lights for the first time at the end of that year. So, um, so yeah, they were the the last but one team to install floodlights on their ground. I also found it very interesting, um, and I didn't realise that. It was only after um, the Bradford fire disaster that they had their ground redeveloped because it, it got it by a, a Second World War bomb, hadn't it? Yeah, it was actually fir- First World oh, was it War. First, first World War. A Zeppelin, but, uh, which had raided the northeast and was just about to, 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 to recross the North Sea back to Germany, had to jettison its final bombs. And its very last bomb fell on the tiny main stand at Hartlepool United Victoria Ground and actually blasted it to pieces. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't have, you couldn't have hit it. The, 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 whoever dropped the bomb couldn't have done it if they tried, but they managed to do it in the dark. And um, unfortunately for the Zeppelin and its uh, crew, they were hit by a, an RAF biplane and um, and uh, nosedived into the sea. A mile from the coast, in 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 a, in a ball of flames, all, all all of them perished. But um, as did the main stand, which was replaced by a temporary structure in 1919 after the end of the First World War, and that didn't finally come down this temporary main stand until 1985, um, following the Bradford City fire, when, when a lot of the old old um, wooden stands and grounds across the country had to come down on grounds of uh, health and safety given what it, uh, given the tragedy at Valley Parade, Bradford. We did mention earlier in the podcast about the monkey hangers. We were talking about the, the plane going down in the sea. But there was a, there was a ship and a, was, it, was the monkey the sole survivor? And is it an actual true story? I, I mean, I've heard it and it's in Hartlepool folklore. But was it true? Did they really hang a monkey because they thought it was a French spy? 
I think it's widely recognised both locally in, in Hartlepool and the North East um, and nationally that, that it's very much a myth that it never actually happened, but it's a great story. Yeah, it is. Mm. The, the, the final survivor in a shipwrecked French ship off the coast of Hartlepool. Um, being brought ashore, he's wearing a, a mini uniform, sort of a mascot of the ship, um, supposedly interrogated, people interrogated him, didn't understand the word he said, presumed he was a French spy, and hung him in the main square. So um, back in back in the day when I started supporting Hartlepool, people, the, 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 what people used to say was, was that if you ever met somebody from Hartlepool, you should ask them who hung the monkey. <laughs> so that seems to have died out. But what has happened, of course, since then, our, all football clubs have um, mascots. Is that the Hartlepool United mascot is a, is a monkey? Yeah, Angus. And of course, when Peter Mandelson was the local, um, and during the time that Peter Mandelson was 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 MP, they decided to um, to have elections for the local mayor. And as a joke, the local monkey man- mascot entered the um, mayoral elections. Uh, initially, at odds of a hundred to one, and actually won the election. I mean, how the man bad... in the monkeys. The man in the monkey suit became mayor of Hartlepool. I mean, how bad would Mandelson have felt to have got beat in an election by a fictional oh, no. character, a monkey? I love the references to topical um, news that was going on. So as you're reading the book, you're reading about things that are also going on at the time, which really hooks you into not just uh, locally in Hartlepool, but a bit more national uh, slant and sway on on the story and the narrative that you're driving through it. That's it. I'll try, try to, you know, mention yeah. a few um, number ones. Absolutely. Um, including talk about, uh, you know, I've just talked about the uh, famous monkey and monkey hangers. Um in Hartlepool, um, but the monkeys, the band, you know, the sort of poor replica of the Beatles had a number one hit during the time that uh, Clough and Taylor were there, you know, I'm a Believer, which was around the time that Hartlepool, that fans could start to believe that Hartlepool might actually achieve promotion because they were flirting with promotion at that point. And, you know, the height of Beatlemania, um, the miniskirt, the mini, you know, all this stuff was going on. George Best was just starting out at Manchester United. And, of course, um, at the midway point of Clough and Taylor's tenure at Harleypool United, he had the World Cup yeah. with, uh, with, North, with uh, North Korea playing, um, playing in the North East and actually getting through the group phase. Yeah, they had a decent run in that World Cup, didn't they? <laughs> Yeah, until they met Eusebio at um, well, they went they, they went ahead, didn't they? And then they, yeah. they um, then Eusebio demolished them basically single handedly. Absolutely, it is a fascinating read. It's a great read, uh, published by the History Press. What are your um, social media uh, handles and and uh, pages, etc., that for people listening to the podcast? can hook up with you and, and I'm sure enter a conversation and congratulate you on a fantastic book and it was a tremendous read. So how can people smoke, uh, blow smoke up your backside, Christopher? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, what? Uh, well, that, that's a question that the publisher asked me. You know, because apparently, and I heard this at a festival the other week. Uh, a journalist saying that some publishers, when, when authors or prospective authors send them proposals, go straight onto to an author's social media to see if they've got much of a social media presence. Yes. Um, I would say, in terms of numbers of followers on on Twitter, very modest. I am on Twitter, but um, I need to build up my numbers. I think I'm trying to think what my handle is. I think it's cc hull cc underscore hull, if I remember rightly, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, one of the things I tried to um, did the other week to try and promote the book is do a little video promo, which I think is quite good. I could. Um, if you do, just do a search on YouTube for it, yeah. Alchemy Clough, you'll see see the video there. I think it's quite a good little one and a half minute thing. Gives you a good flavour of the um, of the book and the story with some nice photos, a couple of which are not in the book. Are you doing um, any book signings? Are you going up to Hartlepool and, and signing the book? And I was actually up there the other evening yeah. trying to convince the club shop to stock the book, and I think they might. Good. They need they need to speak to the uh, publisher. Book signings, I don't. I mean, I'm not quite on that on that level. I don't think I'd love sure. to say yes, but I don't. I'm going, doing a talk at the National Football Museum in Manchester in December. So hoping to, to sign a few books there for yep. those that, that, that come along. Um, doing something at Blackwell's bookshop that's in the pipeline in Nottingham, which is obviously very uh, connected to, uh, well, Peter Taylor was born and bred there and they obviously had great success. Clough and Taylor at Nottingham Forest and I actually studied or worked there, taught there, did my PhD at the university. Um, over nine years, so I got quite a connection with Nottingham. I actually arrived there, talking about Clough and my connection to Brian Clough, both through my dad and as a Hartlepool supporter, but I arrived at uh, University of Nottingham in September 2004 to start my PhD in the month that Brian Clough passed away, so yeah. there's another coincidence. And um, The other thing in terms of my connection to Brian Clough was the was when I started researching this. I mean, I knew that he'd taken over him and Taylor in 1965, but not exactly when, but um, that, that, that Clough actually started sort of uh, 11 days after I was born. Wow. So there's another connection. I was born on the 9th of November, 65, and uh, Clough started at the club on the 29th of October. So, so that, that, that sort of... Um, that, that, that sort of, um, you know, just felt like a little bit of a coincidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's next for Mr. Christopher Hull? Have you got another football book in you? Because there is the Hartlepool's uh, book of Brian Clough. There is a Derby County Earth of Brian Clough. That's There's fair, a Nottingham Forest. There's quite a few books. Is there going to be any more Brian Clough books from you, Christopher? That is a good question. I would say you're writing, listing all the books that there are. You know, there's yeah. obviously, there are obviously biographies about Brian Clough, you know, the biggest one and the most comprehensive one by Jonathan Wilson. He's yes. a very prolific writer on football. This is from Sunderland. Um, there's a book about the, the Clough and Taylor's time at Brighton. There's the, we, we, of course, have to mention Damned United. Yes. And, the, the, yeah. you know, the, the, the book and the film about the infamous 44 Days Clough by himself at Leeds United. And we also have to um, say that the film is, is half fictional. Um, I'm guessing that the book well, is half fictional. Well, that was the book, actually. Well. That yeah. was the book, yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. I think it advertised itself as fiction based on fact, and I, I love the book, but but unfortunately some of it is is made up. Yes, absolutely. In terms of the author putting himself in the, in the mind of Brian Clough, who's yep. obviously no longer with us when he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a, what I've tried to do with mine is is you know it's non-fiction based on fact. I've tried to make it as factual as possible. Yeah and try to um, debunk a few myths along the way that, that do tend to build up over the years. And we do have to say um, that, that the Damned United is fictional. So, so guys, when you do... Well, it's, when based, you... it's based, it's loosely based. I mean, of course, Clough was there for 44 days, and it yeah, didn't absolutely. go particularly well. But no. um, I think that the, the Clough family were not happy with it and did not no. cooperate with the project, yeah. but particularly unhappy with the film. Um, and and um, cooperated with, I think it was ITV, in producing a, an hour or hour and a quarter long documentary about Clough, which was released on the on the on the the, the, the evening before the film was released. You know, it's a sort of um, yeah. alternative uh, view of Brian Clough to the, to, to the film. So, um, but no, to answer your question, Paul, um, nobody has. I don't want to say really because I might be giving somebody a really good lead. Yeah. Um, no, but off the record, yeah. off the, you know, off the record, I'd say, Paul, that um, somebody could do. I'm not sure if it would be me, but a a sort of a thing about Brian Clough and Taylor from Millsborough right to the very end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? A sort of Absolutely. biography of the partnership. Absolutely. Yeah, Did yeah. the Clough family have anything to do with your book? Did you approach them? Did they have any oh, input? I didn't contact. I no. didn't contact them. I didn't contact them. I mean, but maybe I could have. Yeah. Maybe I could actually send uh, Nigel and and his brother Simon. They're both at Mansfield. Obviously, Nigel is manager, and Simon is chief scout. I believe. Send them a copy. I haven't done so yet. I did contact Peter Taylor's daughter. Yeah. Former journalist. Um, I didn't really use anything from 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 what you know, we did over the phone. Um, but uh, no, to answer your question, mm-hmm. um, I just felt that that I mean Nigel and Simon were babies, or that, I mean Nigel was born during the time that Clough was, was manager at Hartlepool. So I don't think directly they would have any knowledge of his time there. Mm-hmm. But obviously, again, I think you, you, it's. A, in terms of fact and fiction, you know, it's you, you're, when it comes to family members, you're not going to get an unfiltered portrait of their father from his from his son, sure. from his or his sons. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, that, that's yeah. why I really wanted to go back to the players who I felt whose story hadn't been heard really, um, or hadn't been partially heard, and, and back to the newspapers because there's so much that's been um, forgotten over the years. Absolutely. And finally, is there anything that you would like to add that we haven't spoken about uh, during Ooh. this podcast? Um, <laughs> you could redo some of the... I'm, there's probably some bits I could do a bit better if I was given another chance, but um, I can't remember which bits. I don't... Did I... Um, you asked something about the towns and I didn't really... Well, I suppose we went into it a little bit with the Zeppelin yeah, and the Monkey. Did. And the no, I think the most interesting thing is that the, the parallel which I did mention between the club, the town, and, and Brian Clough himself, Absolutely. them all being you know really down on their luck in 1965. Absolutely, and what and, we want um, is for people to buy the book. 
so they can read yeah. the book and they can make That's their it. own opinion. That's so it. Brian That's Clough's it. wonderful time at Hartlepool's United. That's um, it. Uh, I, th- I think... I think, sorry, Paul, I'm interrupting you and thinking, oh, that, that, that this isn't going in recording, and maybe it is, so I, sh- I should stop interrupting you. No, but, you um, carry on, you interrupt all your No, the, 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 the thing I was, I suppose you could mention, you know, that I was, you know, looking at the story, reading the, reading the newspapers, speaking to the newspapers, it was just like, it's evident just how much, you know, Brian Clough, put into the put how much effort he put into it into making it work at Hartlepool United you know five out of six um re-election applications in the seasons before he took over and some of the managers who'd, who'd, who'd failed previously you know there weren't there weren't unknown people at the time people like Bob Gurney or Bobby Gurney from from Sunderland you know these were not these were not non-entities yeah. and they had failed and Clough, by hook or bot, was going to make it work. And he just threw himself at the German terms of, you know, you know, multitasking, managing the team, training. And then in terms of the financial difficulties, raising money, going to pretty much every working man's club in, in, in Hartlepool to raise money when the club was in danger of going out of existence, going to the point of learning to drive the, the, the team coach in case he was needed as well to save money. Um, making them go to a couple of away games in, in shared cars because because they didn't want to spend money on the coach, and him and Taylor um, painting the stands and putting a new roof over one of the terraces in the summer of '66. So you know, multitasking uh, manager working sort of 18-hour days to, to to make it work, and they did. Absolutely made it work. And can I thank you for making this or writing this book and putting it out there so football fans all around the globe can read the book and understand how Brian Clough got into football management. After all said and done, he is my favourite manager of all time and there will (laughs) never, ever, ever be another Brian Howard Clough. Uh, He's a a one-off. Absolutely. Absolutely, complete one-off. There'll never be a clough, and you can't. You can't if you turn on YouTube or you hear or see anything of club. You can't sort of walk past. You just have to engage with it. You have to That's listen it, to it? him because because he's just such. He's got such a magnetic, and engaging uh, presence, and always got. Well, you might not always agree with it. He's always got something interesting to say and, and says it in an interesting and unique way. Absolutely. And even with the heavyweight champion of the world, the great Muhammad Ali, Clough, Clough, I've had enough. And I think Pac, he said, what are you going to do? I want to fight him. <laughs> and that was yeah. just Brian, larger than life from the beginning to the end. Uh, God bless you and thanks for the memories. And thank you for the book, sir. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Paul. I hope your editor has fun editing all that, but um, hopefully there's some good, good bits in there. It's been absolutely fantastic. It's been a great, uh, a wonderful evening talking to you. Chris won't need to do much or any editing because I think you've been absolutely first class. And thank you, sir, for your time. Thanks, and Paul. We will speak again. Thanks for having me on. been a pleasure. Lovely. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Cheers, Paul. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you. All the best, mate. Thank you. And thanks for listening, guys. Get out of it.